to Ghoulish Tendencies. I'm Gabby. And I'm Kim. And we are two paranormal investigators who delve into the depths of the famous and not-so-famous cases of Moida, ghosts, legends, and lore with a healthy dose of debunking. That we do. Debunking. Uh, we actually, we have a little bit of an update right from the start. We do. Yes. Many episodes ago, not so many episodes ago. <laughs> many, like, many moons. Feels like it. Um, we covered the DeFeo murders, or sometimes they're called the Amityville murders. Yes, you did that one. It was great. It was a two-parter. We talked both about the murders and then the subsequent haunting or not so much haunting of the house. <laughs> but um bum bum But Ronald DeFeo Jr., who was convicted of killing his his parents and his four siblings uh, on well I say on Friday on the twelfth <laughs> yes because this will this will not come out for another week correct he passed away in prison uh, sixty nine years old and died sometimes you gotta go <laughs> well and I mean to his his dying day kind of maintained uh he talked about his sister possibly being an accomplice he talked about demons who who made him do it um but kind of clinging to this idea that he wouldn't have done it otherwise and uh now we might never fully fully know but i i kind of stand by i think the correct person was in prison i i would agree with you that's kind of wild that he died already. I mean, 69 is 69. old, but it's not, like, that old. No, that's true. Uh, there, There's no cause of death has been released because of privacy laws. Haha. Yeah. Um, right. But, I mean, that's also at 69, there could be a lot of things. Yeah, and I was wondering, too, I remember when we brought this up talking earlier this week, I wonder if it was COVID. I doubt like, it. I honest yeah. to goodness doubt. I mean, for a lot of reasons, and one of them being that in New York State specifically where he was uh, imprisoned, the prisoner COVID death rate was virtually zero. Okay. So I'd be shocked if it was COVID. Well, there's always a plethora of other health options. Yeah, I mean, again, he's, he's 69. Wrong. You can yeah. stroke, heart attack, cancer, take your pick. <laughs> So but, many yeah, things. anywho, DeFeo is no longer. DeFeo is, a, is, has, is dead. So uh, I feel like we've had a lot of um, updates, updates to some of our cases yeah. lately. <laughs> I kind of like it. I feel like it's a nice little revisiting to uh, previous episodes as uh, just FYI. We still have our eyes on things. We do. We do. Well, and, and uh, there's a couple cases that we've covered that I'm still actively looking at. I mean, I think of Jake Bird specifically because that's the case that won't let me go. It'll never let you go. <laughs> no, but oh, so this is kind of cool. <laughs> I mean, we've talked about this. I don't think I've brought this up on the podcast, but I, I've been continuing to research Jake Bird. And I'm looking at maybe trying to put together a book with some of this research. <laughs> but I found a case recently, and it's a cold case of a couple that somebody broke into their home, most likely to burglarize, and they were killed with an axe. Oh. Yeah. And it was 1924. So it was it was when he had started killing. And so I, I have a, a delightful murder wall, but currently it's focused on this case because I'm tracing the railroad lines, trying to figure out, is it feasible he would have ridden the railroad lines to this town and could he be responsible? 
And I just would like to point out that Kim described it as a delightful murder wall. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it is delightful. It's delightful. But that's also very interesting, and I'm very impressed that you're chasing the train oh, to you this gotta, murder you wall. You gotta chase the train. Well, I, again, it, 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 I think with Jake Bird specifically, he rode the rails and killed people. Eh, broke in the houses and killed people. But, like, there, there was a lot of deaths that we're still not really sure of. So you kind of have to do your due diligence and nobody's done a lot of looking into this recently. So eh, why not? It's because they know you're doing it. Oh, because yes. you're Word, so... Words out, is it? <laughs> words out about Kim's murder wall. <laughs> <laughs> it is actually pretty impressive. You guys like, I just oh, have you to tell you. You haven't seen it. I changed it. Oh, I've I upgraded it. Oh, you know, I totally, I've upgraded the murder wall. Oh my gosh, I can't wait to see it. I'm very <laughs> excited. I'm legitimately looking forward to this. This is the highlight of my life currently. Um, but if any of our listeners have a murder wall, please tell us because we'd love to know what you're following. Take a photo, post it to Instagram and tag us. Yes, tag us. Ghoulish Tendencies Podcast. Let us know what you like to research with murder. Uh I'll also show you, because my murder wall has also bled onto my refrigerator. Pun intended? Eh? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I also have a murder fridge. Murder fridge? Wait, are there bodies in it? Shh, you're not supposed to talk about that. Oh, I'm telling your secrets on our podcast. It was great, though, because um, uh, a, a uh, family member of mine who was in my bubble was over the other day. And was going to get something from the fridge, and they stopped. And they were just like, what's what's this on your fridge, Kim? <laughs> I was really waiting for the, you to say that they, like, tried to open the fridge and, like, a hand fell out or... Shh. <laughs> Cappy, you can't tell them all of my secrets. We've you talked about this. You were trying to give them a hand, you know? I don't pun like you. Nobody puns like you pun, Gabby. <laughs> No I'll human on this planet. <laughs> it's awful, but I also, I think I just enjoy making other people feel uncomfortable. Puns don't make me uncomfortable. They make me roll my eyes. That too. But some people it makes uncomfortable, which I enjoy. All right, then. Fair. <laughs> Anywho, Kim's got a murder wall. DeFeo is dead. It's left and right. Things are happening. You know, we like to keep you updated. And that's our current update from Coolish Tendencies Podcast. You're welcome. <laughs> Anywho, uh, what's this episode about? I'm kind of excited because I've seen little bits and pieces of uh, you talking about wanting to pronounce Italian words. Oh, God. My, my, I'm going to blanket apology from the get go. <laughs> I'm going to butcher all of these names. Can't wait. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, I speak zero Italian. I mean, that's, I suppose that's pretty much true. It's, uh, 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 I don't, I, I never took Italian. I, my Italian is mostly limited to, um, I used to work with a bunch of Italian ladies from the Bronx. I don't think they spoke any actual Italian either. Fair. Uh, they, they spoke Bronx English. And just a heads up, friends, as as I head into talking about this case, there's there's a couple of sensitive things we're gonna be talking about. There's there's some talk of suicide, there's a little bit of, of mention of sexual assault. Uh so I, I want you to know going into it, there are a few sensitive things we're gonna be 
touching on. And so if this is something that you you don't want to hear, then maybe this is an episode that you skip or you skip forward when we hit to some of these parts. Today's case is interesting. I think partially because I can't seem to get away from talking about cases that involve soap. Ooh, soap. Mm-hmm. Like the soap lady from Crescent Lake, right? Like the or soap Lake lady from, from Lake Crescent. Uh, this is also a female killer, which we know I love. I love a good female killer. She is one of the most notorious killers in Italian history. Ooh. Today we're going to be talking about Leonardo Sancioli, the soap maker of Carugia. And I have to say, this case was a bitch. Oh, no. Why? Um, okay, so researching any case, any historical case, you know there's going to be challenges, right? Correct. Add in that this case takes place in a foreign country. Accessibility can be challenging. Oh, a, a foreign country where the first language is not English. Sure. So, you know you're going to run into some discrepancies, you know there's going to be some things that are maybe hard to translate, but what I found out when I started digging into this case is that what American press picked up on and what's reported in all of the English accounts of this case is so fictional. Really? Yeah. And exaggerated. And it, it reminded me actually a lot of when I covered uh, the Hinterkaifeck murders, where what was reported in American media had gotten very much exaggerated, had gotten, uh, there was a huge emphasis on the kind of like, supernaturalish element or was there somebody living right. in the attic? Ooh. But it, <laughs> a lot of it, when you went into the, and again, it involved a lot of Google Translate and me looking at German sites was an entirely different story unfolding. So what we're going to be doing today is, is examining both pieces. We're going to be looking at the legend of, of this woman, at least the legend in the United States, but also trying to dissect what actually happened. Um, but even there, the Italian sources would sometimes contradict themselves. Dang. So when I say researching, this was a challenge. <laughs> Understatement of the year? Understatement of the year. Most of, of what people look at as their main source of information on, on Leonardo is a book that she wrote while in custody. It was called Confessions of an Embittered Soul. Oh, dang. I love that title. I feel like that would be like a really good album title. I, well, I kind of want to steal this for like the title of my autobiography, so um, I might. <laughs> <clears throat> That's actually like so on brand. I can't right? even understand it I'm right an now. It's so soul. good. It's okay. Uh, I love firsthand accounts. We, we all know this. Kim loves firsthand accounts. Um, yes, she does. Even if a firsthand account is an Italian. You have to do a lot of Google translating. Uh, but so this book, it's like 748 pages long. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, it's long. And Leonardo, she was she was literate. She could read. She could write. But she went to school up until the third grade. Dang. She had a third grade education. 
not saying that a woman couldn't write a 748-page book with a third-grade education. But it does make one kind of look at it, tilt your head to the side and go, hmm. Particularly when you see that this book was written while she was in custody. That kind of makes me think that maybe whoever was in custody with her had an influence on what was written. What is thought today is that her defense lawyer influenced or even wrote parts of it. I, I think a lot of the stories and the words are hers, but I, 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 I think there's things that were embellished. Uh, in fact, I ran into something similar when I, I covered H.H. H. Holmes for one of my tea and true crimes and he wrote a memoir, but like this memoir, it's incredibly inaccurate. Um, he confesses to killing people who were still alive. That's but, pretty funny, actually. Oh, yeah, it's it's something. But the the issue is that people look to that as gospel truth, and it, it all went towards building the legend and lore that is H.H. H. Holmes, which was blown way out of proportion, and a ton of what people accept as fact about him is not true. And I kind of ran into the same thing here. People accept a lot of things she said as fact, when indeed they were not fact. And this is when we get to Scully. Yeah, Scully Scully was in fine form this week. So uh, I do need to give a quick shout out to a couple of people who were insanely helpful when I was putting us all together. Um, a few friends of mine, Dave and Dion, they put me in touch with their friend Sierra. And funnily enough, Sierra and I are both teaching artists at one of the same acting studios. Um... But, who, but our paths haven't really crossed. As she's also a court reporter and speaks Italian. Cool. Huzzah. So she <laughs> has been putting up with me, messaging her quotes and like Italian Wikipedia pages, being like, can you please tell me what this says? Because Google Translate makes it look really weird. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Sierra, thank you. Thank you so, so much for your help. It, it made such a difference and I appreciate it. All right. Let's just dive in, shall we? Let's dive in. <laughs> Let's talk about the soap lady. Let's talk about the soap lady. Uh, now, even from the very beginning of her story, you're going to see a wildly different account from what is reported in English versus what uh, is fact. So looking at her birth, virtually every English language account I read, including two books, said that she was born from a a mother, even the name is different than her actual mom's name. And her mom was raped at about 14 by a man and was then forced to marry him, which yeah. Holy shit. That's horrible and appalling and sad. If it's true. Correct. But (laughs) however, according to sources, uh, Leonardo's birth happened. Not quite like that. Uh, She was the youngest of six children. The youngest. Of six. Dang. Yeah. Her mother was Serafina Murano, and her father was Mariano Sancioli. And Serafina was widowed with two children when she married Mariano. So this story was pulled directly from her memoir. So I can forgive why people think it's true. Sure. That makes sense. And if you're trying to mount a defense as to why somebody has lived a very hard, hard life that could affect their mental state, 
yeah, this is a story that would contribute to that narrative. And it's also, again, it's not to say that there is not truth somewhere in this narrative. Is it possible that this was maybe the story of her mother's first marriage? Sure. It just might be a little bit misconstrued. Uh, misconstrued. Um, and, and again, Leonardo was the youngest. So it, it is not the story of her birth. Her mother was not assaulted and forced to marry her rapist for her birth. That could have happened for, like, her siblings, her older sure. siblings' birth. Yeah. But it was not her story. Got it. So Leonardo was born on November 14th of 1893 or April 18th of 1893 or April 14th of 1894. Well, that's not the same date. No. Um, so the first date was from Murderpedia. The second date was from Wikipedia and a lot of other sources. And the third date was the Italian Wikipedia, as well as a number of Italian articles I read. And that's the one I've been kind of going by. But, like, if even Wikipedia's different languages can't make up their mind as to what her birth date is, my friends, this is not a good sign. No, this is not a good intro to this topic. No. Uh, so she, she was born somewhere between 1893 and 1894 in the town Fair. of um, Mantella, Italy, which is apparently known for its chestnuts. Delicious. Delicious. As a child, she suffered from epilepsy. Uh, but there was nothing to indicate that this followed her to her adulthood. According to her memoir, her childhood was very hard. Uh, her mother was hard on her. The relationship was very strained. She said that her father died and her mother remarried, which is, again, another thing I kind of had trouble verifying. Uh, but also, let's face it, it's the early 1900s in Italy. Record keeping was not necessarily the thing they were like, yay, we need to be accurate. No. <laughs> But her, her life was apparently so rough that she tried to kill herself twice as a child. Oh, no. That's yeah. awful. Uh, and, and y'all, just to kind of give you a heads up, I'm going to be giving you a quote from her memoir where she talks about her suicide attempts. Uh, and this is one of the ones that Sierra helped me with. And even with her help, there's a few points that are a little bit odd. Um, so according to her memoir, she said, I tried twice to hang myself twice. One time they came in time to save me and the other time the rope broke. My mother made it clear to me that she was displeased to see me alive. One time I swallowed two sticks from my bra or girdle. It was a little unclear what she was referring to here in the translation with the same intention of dying. And I ate shards of glass. Nothing happened. Oh my God. That's awful. It is. But did it not happen? Well, okay. So she did attempt suicide as an adult in custody after she was arrested. There's nothing to back up that she also tried suicide as a child. But I mean, that being said, would there have been anything to back that up outside of her memoirs? Not necessarily. Like, I, I don't want to, I don't want to point to it and be like, that's a lie. Cause I don't know. Right. But Given how much she embellished her early years, is this one thing that I think could be a part of that embellishment? Again, when you're trying to establish a narrative of tragedy, yes. 
According to Rafaela Set, who is a criminal sociologist, um, she read a bunch of letters that were written between Leonardo and one of her sons. And she was quoted as saying, Sancioli had been extremely suggestible from an early age. She had grown up surrounded by sorcerers and fortune tellers who, she said, had predicted a future full of disasters. At least, you know, they were right. (laughs) Well, and, and this becomes really important because according to her... A fortune teller predicted she would have many children, but all of them would die. Yikes. She's also said to have predicted her later imprisonment. Now, she struggled more throughout her childhood. Uh, in 1912, she was convicted of theft, which I guess at that point she would have been about 18 or so. Later, she was convicted for apparently she threatened somebody with a dagger. Dang. She's a little aggressive. Aggressive. Her family wanted her to marry well and a possibly a cousin, according to one source. They were really pushing for her to marry a cousin. But she fell in love with a man named Raphael Pensardi, who was a clerk. And they married either in 1914 or 1917. Again, uh, the dates in both Italian and English were were given. So that that's one where without finding their marriage license, I couldn't tell you for sure. Uh, this caused a huge, huge rift with her mother. And allegedly, on the eve of her wedding, her mother cursed her. Oh, no. And wished her a life of suffering, which, thanks, Mom. Next time, maybe just buy me a china set. That's so rude. It's so rude. But again, when you're crafting a narrative of how shit your life is, sure, this will this will add to it. I mean, it's really interesting that you keep saying when crafting a narrative, bringing it back to who helped her write this book, right? Like, it's going back to that idea that she didn't just come up with those ideas on her own. Well, hold off, because this actually does make sense given where the case goes. Okay. I'm just excited. I'm jumping the gun. So she marries Raphael. In 1921, they moved to the city of Loria, Italy, which was where Raphael was from. Apparently, while she was there, she was not well-liked. She had a little bit of reputation. She was convicted of fraud in 1927. Tricked a woman out of money and valuables. Hold on to that in your head. Remember that. Holding on to it. Spent time in jail as a result. Paid a fine. There was also references to her being what, I'm going to just say, a woman of easy virtue. Oh, no. Yeah. So, Leonardo and Raphael had other problems as well. And again, I want to preface this with saying some of the details were a little sketchy, but this is something we do know happened. So, she was pregnant a lot, possibly as much as 17 times. Oh, my God. Of those 17... Three, she most likely lost to miscarriage or stillbirths. Of the 14 that she then gave birth to, 10 died as children. Oh my God, that is awful. And the way it was literally referred to when you're translating it is dead in the crib, which could mean SIDS. Or it could just be referring kind of generally to to infants dying or very young children dying. But 
I, I, I can't imagine what that would do. Uh, yeah, yes, it's 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 the early 1900s and infant mortality is not great, but my god, 10 children dead. I don't know how you would continue to have kids what? after losing that many kids. Well, apparently she visited a local witch for help. Who spooky about being able to carry a baby to term who then lived and and so she would give birth to four children that survived, and later she would say in her memoir, I couldn't stand to lose another child. Almost every night I dreamed of little white coffins swallowed up one after another by the black earth. That's why I studied magic. I read the books that talked about palm reading, astronomy, conjuring spells, and spiritualism. I wanted to learn all their sorcery in order to neutralize them. Cool. I mean, it's, that's, again, this is going to mess with you. Yeah, for sure. 100%. So of her four surviving children, like, they were her world. Almost to a point of being a little bit unhealthy. There was Giuseppe, who was her eldest son. Biagio. Bernardo. And Norma, who was the only surviving girl. Shout out to my mom, also named Norma. <clears throat> Norma! You don't see that name often enough. But the tragedy was not done. So on July 30th, 1930, an earthquake hit. Uh, It's referred to as the Vulture 1930 earthquake. It was a 6.7, which, like, I hate to say that's actually not that bad, but I'm talking to a Californian, so you can probably appreciate that. (laughs) Yeah. It's Uh, bad, but it's not, like, severe. Right, right. The problem is, is that the town they lived in, uh, Lacedonia, was leveled because the buildings, like, they're built of river stones. They're held together with, like, dried mud and mortar. Doesn't take much to to bring a house like that down. But their, their home was destroyed. Most of the town was destroyed. So they were forced to move again. So Leonardo and her husband and her four children packed up, moved to the city of Corrigio. Her husband's still working as a clerk, but he's not making tons of money. And there were suggestions he started drinking heavily during this time. So Leonardo really got it in her head that she needed to change their fortunes. She opened up a shop. She'd sell used clothing and miscellaneous items. uh, And she was also marketing her other skills, like fortune telling. Cool. And again, this is really interesting to me, but it reminded me so much of the Bender family. Oh, yeah. Because they opened up that shop and, and, and she was marketing herself as a medium. It's been really interesting. This case has triggered so many like, oh, wow, that reminds me of XYZ, the things we've covered. So, you know, check out our full library at Ghoulish Tendencies. <laughs> hey, self-plug. Self-plug. <laughs> And unlike her time in the other towns, in, in Corrigio, uh, Leonardo was well-liked. She was described as being charismatic, having a, a presence. Uh, some people thought she was a little odd, but they liked her. And they, they all commented on what a devoted mother she was. That's good. Now, the move wasn't necessarily good for her marriage, and, okay, so I'm going to be frank. This is another spot where there is a huge divide in how the information is reported. Because a lot of the sources, in both English and Italian, this was not just an English thing, said that either he abandoned her or she kicked him out. 
Oy. In fact, one of the books I'd read went as far as to kind of imply there was no public record of him again. Oh, dear. Could she have done her husband in? Of course. Of course. Yeah. Which also, like, again, it's it's 1930s Italy. There's no records of anything. <laughs> I mean, to make that assumption is just typical at this point. Hmm. But, and I mean, like, big, 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 big butt. Not Sir Mix-a-Lot butt, like, big butt. Uh, <laughs> Stupid. That was such a dumb joke. I loved it so much. That was much. for you. That was Thank all you. for you. It's all for you, Gabby. <laughs> it was all for you. Um, so I found this one source, and it, it was an actual firsthand account. It was somebody who I think it was, like, their grandfather or whatever uh, had lived in the town. And according to this account, that was all bullshit. That husband never left, or at least he didn't leave until she'd already been arrested. And that he he definitely didn't disappear because he was murdered. The problem is, is I couldn't, outside of that, I couldn't find anything else to back that up. Hmm. And I mean, again, it speaks to, like, part of my issue is that I'm a big fan of evidence, obviously. Evidence. Yes. But I look a lot towards newspapers. I look a lot towards registries for things. I look for, for birth certificates, death certificates, marriage certificates. That gets harder when you're looking at a foreign country because I don't have access to a lot of the old newspapers that I have access to for American cases or even right. Canadian cases. So that's what I wanted, and that's what I couldn't get. So depending on which side, he either got kicked out or he's still married to her. Great. Uh, it, it, honestly, it's kind of irrelevant you know like it doesn't factor in hugely to the story it was just another point of frustration in trying to research this that makes sense so leonarda eyes on her children so her eldest son giuseppe was her clear favorite her store is doing well she likes to entertain she likes to write poetry and she likes to kind of let slip some of the local ladies hey guess what ladies i'm a witch Ooh, watch out So let's move forward to 1939. What major event was happening in 1939 in the world, Gabby? What was it? What was it? World War II? Yeah. Italy specifically aligning themselves with Germany. Ah. World War II. Leonardo's son, Giuseppe, nice strapping young lad, studying at university. But he is at risk for being called to the front lines. Right, right. So, yeah, so you're a mother who's lost a fuck ton of children. That, that no longer is a number. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't say that. That's awful. Okay. So you're a mother who, who's buried at least 10 of your children. Of course, this is going to trigger some anxiety in you. Of course. So what does one do when you worry about your children dying? You resort? To witchcraft. Sure. Especially if you're already marketing yourself as such. Right. And in her own words, the perfect solution to this problem was once again something magical. Like that helped her finally give birth to her children. That's true. That's true. And of course, what is the most magical of magical things you can do? (gasps) Human sacrifice. Did you just say human sacrifice? I did. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was a, mis- a mispronunciation, but you meant to say 
it, which makes it even better. I did mean to say sacrifice because <gasps> Wait, was she a cannibal? Girl, we're not there yet. <gasps> Spoiler <Damn> alert! <laughs> Don't jump the gun. Don't jump the cannibalism. You said human sacrifice. I, I just, did. It was a It was a teaser. It. it was a teaser. I'm sorry. I was making. It was, would you call it an appetizer? Appetizer? A moose-bouche. A moose-bouche, oh, Gabby. Moose-bouche. In, in her memoir, she spoke about being visited by the Virgin Mary and being told that this is how she could save her kids. She would say, I did not kill for hatred or greed, but only for the love of a mother. I disagree. I think it was more greed, actually. But again, I'm jumping the gun. <clears throat> right now, I'm telling her narrative as she retold it. So December 17th of 1939, Ermelinda Faustina Setti, a woman who was either 70 or 73, depending on which account you read, never married, no children, not a great education. She knows Leonardo, and she... Wants love. It's never too late for love. So she enlists Leonardo to help her find a husband. And wouldn't you know it, Leonardo knows the perfect man. Of course she does. He's rich. He's older. Who doesn't want that? Uh, and he, he knows Leonardo. Uh, some accounts said they actually corresponded via letters first. I'm not sure if that's... Actually true. That seems kind of weird, but who knows? Uh, I guess that's the 1900s version of like face pics or you won't get a response. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, Leonardo convinced her that um, she shouldn't tell people about this courtship because they'd be totes jelly. That's fair. That's fair. So, and Faustina's all in. She sells her home, dyes her hair nice and fresh. Ooh, get it. And goes to Leonardo's before leaving. And Leonardo's a good host. She offers her a drink and says, you know what you need to do, girl? You need to write some letters to your friends and family. Tell them what's up. Write them now. And then send them. Oh. When you get there. Oh, no. Which, okay, this is, like, suspicious with a capital S. And honestly, I think probably how she convinced her uh, from what I could read, uh, Faustina did not have the greatest education in the world. So she may have kind of leaned into the, I'll help you write these letters. You need somebody to help you. Mm. That to me makes more sense. Yeah. Uh, but again, who knows? But also you're saying that this is someone with a third grade education is well, helping but, someone else write letters. Right. But by third grade, you know how to read and write. That's true. Okay. Just because she only had a third grade education, it's not like, like you continue to, you use those skills. They get better. That's true. Okay. So That's the fair. skills are reading and writing. Cause I feel like this is the difference between someone who's literate versus illiterate. So she writes some letters and postcards. She's done. And Leonardo sees her chance. She took a hatchet. Ruh -ruh. Whacked her friend on the head and killed her. But that was not enough. No. Oh, no, she chopped her up into tiny, tiny pieces so they'd fit in her pot. So this next bit, I'm reading it. This is from Leonardo's memoir again. I threw the pieces into a pot, added seven kilos of caustic soda, which I had bought to make soap, and stirred the whole mixture until the pieces dissolved in a thick, dark mush that I poured into several buckets and emptied in a nearby septic tank. 
As for the blood in the basin, I waited until it had coagulated, dried in the oven, ground it, and mixed it with flour, sugar, chocolate, milk, and eggs, as well as a bit of margarine. Kneading all the ingredients together, I made lots of crunchy tea cakes and served them to the ladies who came to visit, though Giuseppe and I also ate them. People cookies with coagulated blood cookies. so. Is that why Italian food is so good? It's like blood pudding or what's the um? No, there's a there's a chocolate dessert you make with blood. What? I did not know that. Oh yeah, um, sangre. I'd have to look it up, but it's it's like this really decadent, rich chocolate dessert. And and I mean, granted, you're not supposed to use human blood. You're supposed to use like cat's blood or something but yeah I, i've never eaten this dessert i'm a vegetarian but uh there's a i mean think about it, like blood sausage bangers and mash it's called sanguinaccio dolce it's italian it's so an like, italian pudding made from uh-huh. pig's blood <laughs> oh pigs not cows all right again i'm a vegetarian i'm not supposed to know these things but uh, especially i feel like especially in europe or whatever the u.s people eat like pickled pig's feet and veal veal gabby veal to me I don't mean to offend anyone out there, but like to me, veal is so much more reprehensible than eating a dish that has blood in it. That's I, I would agree with you a hundred percent. Um. Anyway, people cookies. Either way, uh, I'm still not going to eat people cookies, and I'm not going to eat a uh, pudding made with blood. Mm. Period. Although I feel like our friend uh, Dracula would have really enjoyed Dracula. that. Dracula. Well, and I mean, again, it's it's a it's a it's supposed to be a very good dessert. If I ate meat, I'd try it. Uh, yeah, if it was no, made with people that. blood, I might try it. But no, just, <laughs> animals are so cute. You uh, would actually prefer it with people blood. <laughs> well, because people could volunteer, like people could don't. Uh, this is going down a oh, weird no. weird hole. But I'm just saying, <laughs> a person could donate blood to a dessert. And then this eat it so themselves. Strange, and then they're so, eating their like, own blood, Kim. If I suppose if you took blood from an animal like you would milk an animal and you didn't kill them, I might morally be okay with eating it. Oh my god, no. Well, because I again, like this is a whole other sorry, friends, sorry. We've gone down a rabbit hole. <laughs> we don't need to keep talking happens. about this. <laughs> so she's not done. She sends Giuseppe. Pola, which is where uh, the fictional bow that Leonardo was supposedly going to set her up with lived, and had Giuseppe mail letters and postcards. Wait, did Giuseppe know that she killed somebody? You're jumping ahead. Oh, I got too excited. I know. So, um, Faustina also had taken out, she had a pretty decent sum of money. And again, it's something that didn't really get touched on the English accounts, which I found really interesting, was that Leonardo took the money, took belongings, sold them, used this money. It was a, it was a fairly healthy sum for the time. And one of the reasons why I think it's weird we don't talk about this is if 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 she's standing by this, I was doing this because of my children 
And indeed, she would say in her memoir later, after this first one, I I realized I needed to kill one person for each child to keep them alive. What? But so her first victim, Faustina, was killed on December 17th of 1939. She doesn't kill her next victim until September 5th of 1940 that's almost a whole year later it's nine months later which to me if i'm super concerned that i need to make human sacrifices (laughs) for my children's lives like i'm not a parent but i have a cat and like if i needed to make a human sacrifice for her (laughs) or four i would just (laughs) boom 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 get her done She waits nine months, which if you think about it, if I have a decent little sum of money here, that's enough time to go through all that money. It's also the right amount of time to make a new baby, which is kind of funny. (laughs) And she's in her late 40s at this point. If she makes a new baby, God bless her. She doesn't need any more. She's She's fine. Yeah. So her next victim, um, Francesca Clementina Suavi, a teacher, and she was in need of a job. And she's friends with Leonardo. She hits her up and, and uh, Leonardo's like, oh, yes, yes, I know of something. I can help you. How fortuitous. It's out of town. Don't tell anybody. Now, unlike her last victim, this woman's a teacher, so she can't really make the let me help you write letters because you're not well-educated defense. Right. But somehow, uh, September 5th of 1940, Francesca stops by Leonardo's, wrote some letters to friends about this amazing opportunity. Leonardo gives her some wine, cheers, to sip while she writes. Well, wine with drugs. Uh-oh. It's the best, best kind of wine. <clears throat> what? No, who said that? What kind of drugs? Who I knows? don't know. Good drugs. So after the letters are written, Leonardo attacks. And I'm going to let Leonardo and her words... Describe it for us. While my victim was drinking the elixir, which, P.S., I'm going to start calling all of my wine the elixir. That's perfect. While my victim was drinking the elixir I had prepared, I got hold of an axe, placed myself behind Francesca, and summoning all my strength, struck the back of her neck. A rattle. Nothing else. It was a masterstroke that almost beheaded Francesca. Oh, dang. I then... Cut the body in nine pieces. I like that she remembers that. Which I put into a cauldron in which soda was boiling. I made an interesting experiment. I plunged in a ladle and picked out a substance of soapy appearance. As a matter of fact, the flesh had been converted into a sort of mix in which I fixed a wick. It made a perfect candle, which I lighted. Greatness of God, what a superb flame. Which, um, Jeffrey, Pearl Candle Company, you should look into this for uh, some candle making. Just saying. <clears throat> let, us, let us know how it goes. <laughs> Report back. Uh, she took Francesca's money, which was a tiny, tiny fraction of what she got from her last victim. Uh, also sold belongings and her son, who was going out of town again. I believe at this point her son was actually in the army, so I think it coincided with a trip he had to take. Um, he once again mailed these letters for his mom. What a good boy. What a good boy. A good Mailing the murder boy. letters. Mm-hmm. Um, but... 
you know, not as much money. It's not going to last as long. And wouldn't you know, a couple months later, November 30th of 1940, she finds her next victim. Virginia Cassiopo. Again, apologies to anyone who actually speaks Italian for how much I'm butchering these names. <clears throat> Sounds pretty good. Uh, she was a 50-something. Uh, her exact age varied from account to account. Uh, one-time opera singer, a soprano, and apparently was like an actual legit opera singer. Cool. Had all kinds of credits to her name. Were performed in a bunch of, of well-known places with well-known companies. Um, you know, she's older now. And... She's not quite ready to kind of give up the dream of, of I want to still do this. Leonardo is like, ah, my friends, I can help you. I have a former lover who is a somebody in the arts, and he will be able to help you. But, however, because he is a former lover, I need you to be discreet. Keep this on the DL. Because, you know, former lover. Don't want that getting out. And or, Virginia. You know. I'm going to kill you, so keep it on the deal. She doesn't say that. Virginia's like, no, 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 girl, I get it. You've got my back. I've got yours. But Leonardo's like, mm, you don't want to wait. This is Things are going to happen quickly. So Virginia goes to Leonardo's house. She drugs her drink. Wick-a-whack later. Leonardo's disposed <laughs> of her. A wick-a-whack. A wick-a-whack, a wick-a-whack, a wick-a-whack. Try saying that five times fast. Uh, <laughs> I, this is This is, honestly, this is like... Messed up, but also perversely fascinating. She ended up in the pot like the other two. Her flesh was fat and white. When it had melted, I added a bottle of cologne. And after a long time on the boil, I was able to make some most acceptable creamy soap. I gave bars to the neighbors and acquaintances. The cakes, too, were better. That woman was really sweet. Oh, no. Ghoulish Tendencies, official sponsor of cannibalism. Uh, is it no. just me? No, like, I'm sorry, but like, <laughs> it's not just me, right? I feel like I've told a bunch of stories about cannibalism, or maybe I just talk about Hannibal too much. I don't know. I think we've had a lot of them lately. I think very recently. And we talked about this last time. Right. Because in February, we did... We had Catherine, who, Catherine, what, Catherine yeah, Knight, Catherine we had Gustav, Knight and Gustav. The month of the man eater was February, mm. so we talked about. Obviously, Gustav is not a person eating a person. No, but there but, was a lot of human flesh jokes. Well, and I forget sure. too. Like I've covered for Teen True Crime. I like I talked about Albert Fish, who who was oh god, talk about a case that makes you hate your life that was maybe one of the rough no, no no that's maybe one of the roughest things i've ever covered that was that yeah. was hard but uh, yeah no there, there's been a there's been a reasonable amount of cannibalism <clears throat> so like her her previous victims leonardo also takes her belongings sells her belongings and also this woman had a good amount of money oh so she hit the jack she hit the jackpot but also like she's selling her belongings in her store <laughs> oh no so like at this point, people are, they're not entirely dumb. Oh, that's good. And they're like, this is kind of weird. These, these ladies have disappeared. And also this, this is, this is a little weird. And it gets back to some of the local police, but they're just kind of like, eh, bitches be gossiping. That's fair though, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> I mean, bitches do be gossiping, but, but it, so, um, and again, some of this gets a little unclear with the exact relationship, but a relation, it looks like a sister-in-law or a cousin She's like 
I know that Leonardo was involved in her disappearance. Um, there was even one account that said she'd seen Virginia go into the house and not come out, which I don't know if that was true. But she's like, I got receipts. I've got serial numbers of bonds and other things that belong to my cousin, sister-in-law, friend, whatever. And you can trace these. And whoever you trace these to, it's going to lead you to the killer. That's smart. And uh, like this whole thing, I'm not going to get into all the intricacies because I don't think it's necessarily any more relevant to talk about. But it it did. It traced to Leonardo. (laughs) And this is enough to get them to search her home and find her murder kitchen. What's equally awesome is a bunch of the things they found in her kitchen. They're now in a museum in Italy. Oh, my God. Really? Yeah. There's pictures, too. We'll, we'll post some of the pictures of, like, her pots and like, there's, like, uh, knives or things, hammers. I don't know. All kinds of fun stuff. Uh, we'll post some of these to our Instagram. But also, Ghoulish Tendencies field trip to go to a murder museum. I mean, let's go to Italy, man. I'm down okay. once all do, this do, is You see the arm over. you're twisting? Yeah, it's totally twisted. It means that it's ready to go. So they're like, okay, this doesn't make her look good. And, and they're questioning servants because Leonardo at this point has made enough money or stolen enough money or killed enough people to have servants. And they're like, hmm, you know, it's funny. Now that you mention oh, the no. day that Virginia disappeared, there was a bunch of weird smells coming in pots on the stove. Which, I don't know, maybe that's just her cooking. But uh, she's arrested. But they're looking at her and they're like, there's no way you did this by yourself. And she herself, she's like, you're right, I didn't. Um, the cheesemonger, he was also in on it. Or this dude, he was also in on it. And she's trying to, to throw all these other people under the bus. And they're like, no, 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 that doesn't make sense. We think it was your son, Giuseppe. Oh, no. Because, And to be fair, like, this is this woman. She's like four foot nine. I don't think I said that before. No, She's you didn't. Four She's foot nine. The tiny lady. Tiny little. Well, she's pretty stout, but she's a tiny little stout lady. And she's in her late 40s. So, yeah, I could kind of see why they were like, you probably had help. It's when they bring Giuseppe into it that things change. And her whole narrative changes. Yeah, because she probably wanted to defend him and, like, protect him, right? So that nothing would happen to him. So at this point, we go from, I don't know what y'all are talking about, or it was the cheesemonger, to, yep, you're right, I did it. In fact, she said, quote, all right, I ate my friends. What? Yep. (laughs) If you want to be eaten too, I am ready to devour you. The disappeared... She's talking about the women. The disappeared, I ate. One in a roast, one in a stew, one boiled. Well, at least she switches it up. (laughs) You can't eat the same thing every night. It gets boring. Oh, my God. So, okay, so she'd later say that she was feeding parts of her victims to her children in cakes and biscuits, Because this was how she was going to save them. In her memoir, she talks about how she saw herself. She was the goddess Teti, uh, which in mythology, I guess Teti, and she's known by a couple other names, but she had wanted to make her children immortal by bathing them in the river Styx. And it like the idea of anointing them in blood. This is how she was going to keep her children from dying, which. Yeah, yeah, sure. You know what else is nice, though? Money. I like money. 
Which she got a lot of. From these people? Yeah, right. she did. And, and, you know, so she she's arrested, and she's put before some doctors and there was there was one doctor um filippo separito and he spent time with her and, and he diagnosed her with hysterical psychosis and totally infirm of mind wow i feel like that could be my diagnosis too i am totally infirm of mind but it, it would be a long time for she's brought to trial she didn't actually go to trial until 1946 that's a while I mean, to be fair, what was going on in the world during this That's time? That's true. The war yeah, was happening. Was it wasn't war. exactly a priority. <laughs> they had other things going on. I get it. Oh, this is this is great too. Okay, so I read this little bit, and and she was uh, she was like a proud, tried and true fascist. So great, but she just because just because she's you know a cannibal. Uh, didn't mean she didn't do her part for the war effort. She was quoted once. I think this was during her trial, but she said, I gave the copper ladle, which I used to skim the fat off the kettles to my country, which was so badly in need of metal during the last days of the war. Wow. I love that she specified what she used it for. <laughs> <laughs> but this is, okay, so this is the other thing. Like, it's a 748-page book that she wrote, and it is not fully available as far as I've been able to find. And it's got some, like, serious detail. I want to read this book. (laughs) I want to read the entire thing so badly. And if anybody in Italy has connections to get me an Italian version of this, I will find a way to get it translated. But I want this book, Gabby. Okay. That's your homework. That's everyone's homework for Kim. Help her find this book. Friends of Ghoulish Tendency. Help me get this book. Can you say the title of it? What was it again? The title of the book, hold on, sorry, was Confessions of an Embittered Soul. (laughs) Such a good title. I know. I, yes, anyway. So, uh, 1946, trial starts. Giuseppe also still being held. And again, what people kind of keep coming back to is, like, how could she have, have done this how could she have chopped them up so fast how could she have done this so leonardo did what anyone would do who's being accused of not being able to cut up a body by herself she was like okay okay i cut here here and here in less than 20 minutes everything was finished including cleaning i could prove it now she like boom bring me a corpse and i will cut it up right here right now Wait, did they actually bring her a corpse? So, again, if you read the American accounts, they did. No. According to legend, the body of a tramp was given to her and that she took an axe, took it apart in nine pieces in 12 minutes, which, like, awful, but also respect. Um, but Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, come on. You have to respect that a little bit. Uh, but there, there's no documentation of this. And, like, something I, I, I had to kind of remind myself when I was reading this, uh, Italy is, like, hardcore Catholic. Yeah. They're not going to give her a tr- the body of a tramp to practice on. No, they're not going to do that. So, so no, that most, there's, there's, I would say that 99% positive that did not happen. Such a good story, though. But, uh, well, yeah, it's a great story. It's a great narrative. Sure, you're right. You're not wrong. So, you know, they're, they're throwing a lot of suspicions at her son, but what they lack with him specifically is evidence. Evidence. Yeah. Particularly with, with her confessing left and right and being like, nope, 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 all me, all me, all me. So they let him go. 
Because there was nothing they could really hold him on at this point. So she's sentenced to three years in an asylum and then 30 years in prison. In the asylum, she goes, and in the asylum, she stays. On October 15th of 1970, she dies in her asylum at 76 or 77, depending on which birth date you believe, of what appeared to have been a stroke. And this is another, like, I read a lot of things she was buried in a, in a common grave. I read a couple other things that was like, no, that's not true. I couldn't find a record of where her grave was. Doesn't mean she doesn't have a gravestone somewhere in Italy. Right. I'm still looking. One of the nuns in the asylum remembers, this was a fabulous quote. Despite the scarce means at our disposal, she prepared very tasty sweets, which, however, no prisoner ever dared to eat. <laughs> they thought they contained some magical substance or people. I'd be afraid they contained people. People. <laughs> people. Yeah. Um, but, okay, so so the, like, this story is messed up, even more so because there's so many things we're looking at, like, did this actually happen? There have been a number of modern scholars who have been examining this case. Because, again, in Italy, this is a big deal. This case right. is a huge, 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 huge deal. And what 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 is maddening for me is that a lot of, of things they've written are not available in English. Like, there's a couple doctors who've written books. I could not find even an electronic version that I could try to get translated. They're hard copies only. So the more you sort of look at her case, the more you're like, I appreciate why you were trying to make it seem like you were cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs and only wanting to save your children. I think it was all money. I think it was money, 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 money. Okay, but let me ask you this. Yes. If it was just money, why would she cook the people? You you, you jumped the gun. I was just about to get into that. Oh, okay. Well, I'm glad I jumped it. Here you go. Explain. So, as these more modern scholars have examined the evidence and what she claimed she did, a lot of doubt has been cast as to whether or not she actually cooked people into things. Oh. Or even made soap with them. Like, chemically, the way she talks about it, apparently it does not make sense. Oh, that's so interesting. And they're going back to that that one account I'd read uh, of, of, I think it was the grandfather or whatever that, that was in town then. He was like, she never gave soap to people. That's BS. She wasn't feeding them to people. And, 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 and looking at her son a little bit more closely, I mentioned she's 4'9". And she's in her late 40s. This is not a Lizzie Borden situation where Lizzie Borden was a, was a, was a re reasonably... Average to a little bit above average size young woman. She could whack and kill a man. You're looking at this little old lady, not little old lady, but you're looking at this little lady hefting bodies. Okay, yeah. I don't know that you could have done that yourself. Her son, who was always real contentious with police, too. That doesn't do you any favors. But... He admitted at one point to disposing of some bones. And he's like, oh, I think they were edible bones. Yeah, right. Wait, so do you think he knew? Years and years later, one of the maids apparently said, 
And this is another one where I was trying really hard to find some more than, than one concrete source, and I struggled. But allegedly, this maid said that she had seen Giuseppe's suitcase, the one that he would travel with. It was bloody. Oh. And that at one point in time, she went in the attic and saw severed legs. That's Which not also, something. Who goes you... into the attic, sees severed legs, and doesn't say anything? Right. I was just going to say, like, wouldn't you have a response to seeing just a couple of legs hanging out in the attic? One would think. But more modern scholars have been looking really heavily at Giuseppe being a lot more actively involved and that a lot of not just her taking full ownership, but a lot of her kind of uh, more eccentric defenses of what she did happened as a result of trying to take suspicion off of her eldest son. This is a case that I I haven't let go of yet um, because I know there's missing pieces, and I think there's some missing pieces that can be filled in. Mm-hmm. If only you could translate. And if like only I could translate. And, and, yeah. and, and if I could get access to some of the stuff, like I want to get access to some newspapers. I want to get access to some of these books because the way the story is told here, and I think you get a little into culturally, like you see it with H.H. H. Holmes. You see it with a lot of our, our serial killers. We, we turn them into something, I don't want to say folk heroes, but we turn a lot of our killers into more than human. We, we turn them into legends. I mean, I even look at Bundy. Look what we've done to Ted Bundy. Look how people talk about Ted Bundy. That's true. And there wasn't really anything remarkable about him, but people talk about, oh, he was, he was so this, he was so this, he was smart, he was brilliant. He, no, he wasn't. He was a white male. He was a, he was a conventionally good looking for the time white male who could get away with a lot of stuff because of it and who fed into his own legend as part of his defense. He was a man with a huge ego. Yeah. Was he brilliant? No. Was he dumb? No. But I, I think there's something here with how we, the celebrity of murder. I've talked about this before. Yeah. We love it. We love the salaciousness of it. And, and I think this was a case, particularly because it's a foreign case, it's easy to turn it into something else because it's hard to find the facts to, to dispute it. Right. But it's for those of us who like facts, for those of us who like concrete answers, it's frustrating. And that's where I say, I'm not done with this yet. I'm not done with this case. And, and anyone listening to this who, knows anything or speaks Italian, you know, you're, you're welcome to reach out to us. Um, but I, I, I'm not ready to let this one go. So it, it might pop up again. But for now, this is Leonardo Ciancioli, the soap maker of Corrigio. The queen of the human snacrifice. Snacrifice. I really Let's, love that. That's going to be one of our hashtags is human sacrifice for sure God. for this episode. I want to emphasize that we are not making light of what she did. No, we're just being dumb. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, I love this story, and I'm excited to have a revisit because Lord knows in one of our future episodes, we're definitely going to have to revisit this one. You read your 700 and something page My book 740 once it's page. Yeah, I'm going to talk to a couple people about is like researchers are writing about it, so it must be available in some capacity, but I, I don't know. Um, but I, I want to see this book. <laughs> It's only a matter of time, to be honest. Like, you could probably get access to it the more you look if into it's, it. But I don't even know if it's published. That's the thing. Like, Italy is not the U.S. They do – their justice system is way different than – I mean, in a lot of ways. Their justice system is way different than ours. And actually, I, I should ask Sierra, who, who's been absolutely lovely in helping me um, – she talked to me a little bit about the Italian justice system, and I knew in passing how different it was, but, like, they don't have double jeopardy laws the way we do. They have a – there's a lot of stuff that's very different. Uh, it's possible this has never been published for the public, but I don't know. Um, the more you know. The more you know. It's, again, I, I, I get a little nervous when, sometimes when I'm talking about a case that's not in the United States because I know there's things I just don't have as much of a grasp on. Sure. But also, it's it's fun to mix it up. We've actually mixed up a bunch lately with we our really cases. We really have. We've been all we, over the place. <laughs> we hit a case. We hit uh, Gustav in Africa. We hit Australia with Catherine uh-huh. Knight. We um, are international. We've got another. I Your next one is international, isn't it? Sure is. Ooh. I'm going to be visiting a, not, but. A, a part of the world that we talked about. Mm. A while ago. Also, <laughs> weirdly ties into what is apparently becoming our theme for 2021. <laughs> we'll just say that there is blood involved. <laughs> there will be blood. There will be blood. There was mm-hmm. blood. There, there will be blood. more blood. Mm-hmm. Um, and the possible virgin or two. Who knows? Who knows? Just a little sneak peek. Uh, <laughs> but I think of the themes that we talk about often. And honestly, this is what makes me really excited to continue the podcast and find new topics is that we do love finding facts and taking a story that might be known as one way to most people and Mm -hmm. digging deeper to understand it on a different level um, and giving more insight on it. And I think this case that you talked about with Leonardo was such a good example of different perspectives and how something can be perceived. And if it's published one way in one country, but another way in another country, like who's going to believe what, what actually happened and what went down. But I love that you're able to get all the angles of it. And I feel like that's what we do best. That's what I love about our podcast. I just love it so much, guys. I love it so much. I do. I just, I think, and I'm, I'm, I tend to be pretty hard on myself. I get frustrated when I feel like I'm not doing something justice. And anytime I'm having trouble getting concrete answers, or I, I was really frustrated. Like, I read two books before I realized how much bullshit was in them. I've done that. We talked about that. We talked about that. (laughs) And it was really, really frustrating to be like, I had pages of notes that I literally deleted because I found it was like one website that referenced some of the bullshit in the American recounting. And I was like, wait, what? And, and that was when I switched to pulling up some Italian sources. Uh, These again, I'm not usually a Wikipedia person, but the Italian Wikipedia I use as the basis for a lot of my research because 
if nothing else, it was way more accurate than the American Wikipedia. Which is great. I'm glad that, like, could you imagine if you hadn't found that and just did it based on what you knew from the American perspective? Which, and I I can't even fault anyone who's reported on these things because, because so much of it comes from her memoir. Yeah, that's a reasonable thing to pull from. Um, and she, she twists the truth in her memoir. So it's, it's, I I get frustrated with myself because I always want to do more, but that's also me. (laughs) But that's also why we appreciate you, Kim, because we always know how thorough you are. Yeah, sometimes more thorough than any human could want. Now that's why we love it. I love how obsessive you get with the research. It's so wonderful. It's great. It just shows that passion of finding the, the truth because the truth is out there, everyone. It, it is. It truly is. And this brings us to... Creepy Critics Corner! Creepy Critics Corner! Kim. <laughs> what you watching? Well, actually, the the first thing I'm going to recommend tonight is a book. Ooh. Is it the 750-page book? <laughs> Alas, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I plowed through this book. Uh, it's called Sadie. Oh. It's by Courtney Summers. And... Uh, Damn, it was good. It's um, sad. It's very sad, but it's really, really well done. And you're you you basically got a book about uh, a girl named Sadie, and her sister was murdered, and she's going out um, to kind of avenge her sister. But you're you're flipping back and forth between two narratives. You have the first person narrative that Sadie is giving. And then you're flipping back to be reading these um, transcripts of a podcast. Oh, that uh, a guy is making about Sadie and her sister and their story. That's such an interesting narrative. It's so interesting and heartbreaking. Like it's it's really well done. But I I also think anyone who's a fan of true crime. The format will really appeal to them. The story will really appeal to them, but also kind of the tragedy and the inevitability of a lot of it will also appeal to you. Um, but I, I, I just devoured it. Uh, it had started off as being one of my, you know, I kind of swap off. I read a lot of dark shit uh, for, for like true dark shit for between all the different things I do. And I read a lot of books on theater and film and all that. But uh, I like to read romance and young adult and other books to kind of palate cleanse. Sure. And this ended up being, I I wouldn't necessarily call it a palate cleanse, but I could not put it down. That sounds great. So I, I highly, 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 highly recommend it. Sadie Courtney Summers based on this book. I requested from the library, everything else she's written. I don't even care what it's about. I will read it. Nice. Um, the other thing I want to recommend, and I only just started it, so there's there's a little bit of like an asterisk that this could change, but so far I'm really digging it, is a show called The Sinner. Oh, I think I've heard of it. It, it first came out, I, like, I'm just barely into season one. 
It first came out back in uh, 2017, and it's an anthology kind of crime drama show. Uh, but Bill Pullman is your constant throughout. He's the the detective. But first season has Jessica Biel, and this isn't really a spoiler because it happens so quickly in the first episode. But if anyone desperately doesn't want to be spoiled by this, fast forward like 30 seconds. Uh, <laughs> it, it basically starts off with Jessica Beale's character kind of out of nowhere stabbing someone to death. Oh, dang. And you're not really sure why initially. And Bill Pullman... He's the 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 detective that comes in and and is kind of just looking at this case. And apparently, each season is is standalone, mm-hmm. but he is your thread. He remains the constant throughout. But it each involves a case he his character is looking at. But so far, man, the acting is fantastic and it draws you right in. So uh, I've really been enjoying it. Again. I will report back as I get a little further in the series, but uh, yeah, it's it's streaming on Netflix, so check it out. I remember seeing it and being intrigued and thinking, later, I will watch that, and it's, I have not gotten to it yet. Yeah, it, it was one of those for me, like, I, I, I have this long list of things I need to watch, and... I've been recently, uh, I've been kind of trying to push myself to get through my lists a little bit more. I've been falling back, especially during quarantine. I, I fell back a lot onto what I call comfort shows, like a lot of yep. Parks and Rec and mm-hmm. a lot of uh, uh, The Office and yep. Community. And I have probably watched Hannibal like 50 times because for whatever reason, that's a comfort show for me. I mean, but that, it's on brand. I mean, Mads and... and uh, um, Oh, crap. Who plays Will Graham? And Julian Anderson. Can't forget about her. And Julian Anderson, right? So I picked this up a couple days ago as, like, while I eat dinner, I'll, like, watch an episode of something new. And, yeah, I'm digging it. I'm super digging it. Nice. Uh, what you been watching or reading or listening to or all of the above? Uh, I've been reading a book that I will tell you about in the next episode because it's for research Mm. for the next episode. Uh Uh I also finished the book that I mentioned in the last episode, the burnout book. Um, Fantastic. But funny story. You're talking about like the palate cleanser shows. I've Mm -hmm. been watching 30 Rock because. Oh, Lord, I haven't seen that in years. (laughs) I haven't. I never. It's funny because like two of my closest people in my life, my fiance and my best friend since the fourth grade, are both obsessed with 30 Rock. And I never watched it consecutively, like as a show. Like, I think I saw bits and pieces here and there, and it never like, I never gave it a shot, really. Great cast. Um, It's so funny. Yeah. Cast is fantastic. The cast, they have got so many good, like, guests Mm -hmm. stars in it and then Mm -hmm. just the humor that's really quick and subtle is my favorite part um but yeah that show is a really great palate cleanser if you're looking for like a good old show that's what's i should revisit that what's it streaming on right now it's on hulu okay yeah that's how we're watching it's on hulu so we've been watching that and i i thoroughly enjoy it and love it and we've been watching it consecutively so i can like process it properly because i feel like that kid that got left out and everyone has watched it and I'm like, but I haven't seen it. So now I'm in the process of watching that. I feel like I watched that first run, but I don't think I've watched it since. Some things are very problematic. I will tell you that now. 
Um, I mean, any, any, honestly, any comedy from the 90s, from the early 2000s, not even the early 2000s, the mid 2000s, it all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not awful, but there are no. some parts that are like, ooh. So that's my palate cleanser. Yeah. And then I actually found a show because I know I told you I was watching um, Penny Dreadful again. Oh, yeah. I yeah. actually started the, when I say new Penny Dreadful, oh, the, it's not new. It's like the one that came after the original Penny but I mean, Dreadful. It, it, it's new like a year or two ago. It's pretty new. Newer. Sure, yeah. yes. I haven't gotten Snapley past. Dorman? Yeah. She's in it. And it's actually, I've only gotten into the first episode. So like you said with the center, like I'm, I'm very green into it. We haven't gotten, yes. um, It's giving me more American horror story vibes than anything. Um, It takes place in. That could be good or bad. Los Angeles in the late 1930s, and it right. deals with... Right, City of with, Angels, right? That's its tag? Yes. Yeah. yeah, City of Angels, Penny Dreadful, City of Angels. And it deals with a young um, Latino uh, detective. It's like his first day on the job kind of situation. Mm-hmm. And uh, Nathan Lane is in it, and I love Nathan oh, Lane. I love Nathan um, Lane. Oh. And he plays such like a rusty old man who's working at the de- as a detective in the police academy and it's just it's funny to see him as that character because all I think of when I see Nathan Lane is the birdcage and so yeah, he plays a lot of the like cause the birdcage was him and Robin Williams kind of switch parts yeah um, yeah 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 but um, anyway, I just, I love The Birdcage. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. And so that's how I always see Nathan Lane. So to see him in this role is, is funny to me, even though I know he's done it a million times. Um, but there's some gore. There's some murder. There's some uh, mythological creatures in it, mm. which are interesting. And so I'm open-minded to it. I think if I had just seen it, not knowing it was attached to Penny Dreadful or anything else, I might not love it. Um, mm-hmm. So I think just depends on what your vibe is. Yeah, um, yeah. But I did start watching that. I'm excited to continue to watch it. It's been on hold because I can only watch it if Terrence is watching it with me. Otherwise, I can't watch it because he doesn't want me to watch it without him. And we haven't had any time together in a while. So I've been watching another show called um, The Luminaries. Which oh, I've heard of that. Yeah. It's on Stars, And mm-hmm. it's also got uh, Ava Green in it from... Mm-hmm. Penny Dreadful because Penny I Dreadful. love mm-hmm. I love her in anything period piece. She just does such a great job as like a 1800 style person. See, and that's funny because part of why I have a trouble getting into Penny Dreadful was her. Really? Okay. Yeah, I just don't buy that she's from that time period. Oh my gosh, that's so and funny. It, it <laughs> takes me out because she's so to me she's so contemporary that I huh. it distracts me. I feel the literally exact opposite. Yeah. <laughs> That's I mean, very yeah, funny it's, it's it's perspective. It's all perspective. Yeah. Like I, I I I I'm fine with her, but I struggle with her in Penny Dreadful for some reason. And so I've never been able to get past the first season. Oh. Well, it only has three seasons. It's not even super long, but um the first and second season are really good. The third one's all right. Um, but yeah, Luminaries is a new show. Uh, it just came out very recently on Stars, and it it's kind of cool. It takes place in New Zealand um, mm. during the Gold Rush, and so it has a bunch of people coming into parts of New Zealand 
to strike gold, but then you have this independent woman who is not mm-hmm. Ava Green. It's another girl. Um, and she's basically left to her own volition to be successful or not. And it shows what she has to go through. And there's some murders. There's um, some dirty stuff that goes on that you're just like, ooh, that that leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Something's got to happen from that. But then they also take the concept of um, astrology and put it into it and like reading of the stars and understanding people's signs and energies. And it's, it's a really interesting twist. Cause I, I've never seen that inserted into something like gold rushy before. So it's a really cool combo of things, but it also takes place. It is considered a period piece, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a nice combination of different aspects. And it also shows, um, the native people of, New Zealand at the time and their protection over their land. And it's a really cool perspective on, I've only known the gold rush to be in the U.S. is the way I've seen it growing up. So it's cool to see like, how did that unfold in another country and what did it look like and how did people strike it rich or die trying? Um, And it's, I I really like it a lot. So that's what I've been watching. All right. Well, yeah. I feel like that gives people a couple different things to look at. Yeah, a few different, like very different options too. So very different options. Well rounded. <laughs> well, thank you so much for listening, everyone. We appreciate your ears and your attention and any kind of contribution you have. If you have any suggestions for episodes, head on over to our Patreon. Our Patreon is Ghoulish Tendencies Podcast. We have some awesome benefits on there, like additional content. Um, We're actually going to be putting up a opportunity to suggest episodes Mm -hmm. for anyone who helps contribute to our Patreon, and we will be doing those topics based on what you guys want to hear. So that'll be kind of fun. Um, we also have a Facebook page. It is Ghoulish Tendencies Podcast. We have Instagram. It is Ghoulish Tendencies Podcast. We also have Twitter. It is Ghoulish Podcast. Ghoulish Podcast. And if you want to see our show notes and where all of our social medias are, go to www.ghoulishtendencies.com. That is our website. All of our references, all of our show notes, all of our episodes, and all of our social needs are on there. If you're not able to donate to our Patreon, which we understand times are hard for everyone, but it means so much when people rate and review because a lot of people look for those when they are trying to choose new podcasts to listen to, and it helps spread the good word of ghoulish tendencies. So if you are not able to donate financially, if you would consider donating a moment of your time. And giving us a rating and a quick review, we would very much appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. And stay. Stay.